Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Jake Cantor. On today's show, it's all change at the top of the sun with repercussions for the Sunday title and the Times. Our panel discuss that. Plus, Times Radio, that's happening. Disney Plus reveals impressive numbers, and so do the national radio stations. And in the media quiz, we discover the trends of yesteryear returning to our screens. It's all to come in today's media podcast. So with me today is a media writer, Maggie Brown. Maggie, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very good to see you again. Um, a quick tour of your Twitter suggests that uh, you've had an interest in publishers increasing their audience by reducing the amount of content that they produce. Yes, I, I, I noted that. I mean, The Guardian said, of, I think they've cut their stories by a third. Fascinating. I found it fascinating because if you ask me, I'm reading actually more of it and I'm finding the, the daily editions almost as, as challenging as Sunday newspapers. So that had passed me by. That was why I tweeted about it. Well, the perceived wisdom is more is more, isn't it? But actually what it is is that the things that really interest people are read properly, others are just discarded. And so there's a certain sort of interest in uh, honing down an agenda and that is also being supported by what they can now do, which is look at the digital um, operations and it's very accurate feedback. Fantastic. Well, welcome. Also joining us is a broadcast consultant and the host of Radio Days Europe 2020. It's Paul Robinson. Hi. How are you, Paul? Good, thank you. Good. Busy collecting air miles. Yes, I was going to say, where have you been jet-setting this week? Um, I've come back from Russia. (laughs) Come back from Russia, which is really interesting, actually. The the market is really opening up, and uh, they're investing very heavily in uh, co-production and putting very significant tax incentives in place. So, um, yeah, Russia and then America next week. So that uh, gets the contrast. And can you tell us about your interview that you've told us off, Mike? I could not possibly (laughs) comment about that. (laughs) Okay, well, we'll move on swiftly then. Um, It's all change at the top of the Sun newspaper, uh, as Tony Gallagher makes way for Victoria Newton. Um, Maggie, what do we know about Victoria? Well, what we know is that, of course, she has already edited The um, Sun on on Sunday. Uh, She's a very respected um, leader of the people there, especially the push into the digital versions of The Sun. Um, And, of course, she's a woman, which I think is very interesting. But you can't really divorce it from the changes that are taking place in Times Media, in Times, sorry, newspapers uh, as a whole, because uh, clearly there have been changes. And they're really also related to 
a bigger issue, which is that in July, um, news got the go-ahead to actually um, use um, a fused uh, uh, editing team or, edit, or journalists anyway across the papers of the the Sundays and in particular it was the Sunday Times and the Times and so that's also resulted in the Martin Ivans stepping down so we're seeing that being replicated at the yes, Sun. Yes, at the Sunday Times, which um, Emma Tucker the, um, is the new editor. She stepped up from being deputy editor. And she has a, a lot of experience in, in across the board, really, especially in digital. And so they've been, they, they are in the process of um, changing their operations and, in fact, cutting costs. That's the real bottom line as well, as well as becoming more digitally um, attuned, pushing their, their multimedia. And we're seeing a similar story at, uh, at the Mirror this week. They're, they're going seven days a week, uh, subsuming uh, Sunday Mirror and the people into the wider newsroom. Are we seeing the quick death of Sunday newspapers here? I don't know. I mean, I still like a Sunday newspaper. I must admit, it's something about a Sunday paper, fantastic, isn't there? Aren't they? Yeah, they are. You know, and um, you, you know, you know what you're getting. And I would miss that sort of thud on the <laughs> doorstep in the morning. You know, when the Sunday paper arrives. I mean, on the issue of the editor, I can't possibly comment. What I do like about the Sun is it continues to surprise. And I was very happy on January 31st when the headline, of course, on the Sun was all about, "Oh, thank goodness, that's the end of dry January." That was very <laughs> clever. I mean, those things I do appreciate the Sun for. There's good humour in it. Yeah. I mean, one thing I don't actually um, like very much about the news, what the Sunday Times is they've got this biodegradable wrapping and mine always gets dumped in front of my um, porch and this Sunday I had to dry it out on my underfloor heating uh, ki- heated kitchen because it was un- I couldn't it had completely soaked through so in some ways I, I'm a bit of a dissatisfied you um, can't go back on the biodegradable know, wrapping you I need can't. a better porch Maggie you need to put I a bit do. of fence around it or something or increase its size but I think I think that the, 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 the one of the other aspects of this is that um, women now are really um, coming very much to the fore now Emma Tucker is a very uh, formidable operator I have actually um, even written for her once I mean she's very very charming but she's tough she's got wide experience and she's a former financial times uh, trainee as well so she's been a foreign correspondent she's been around and so she i think she can cover most bases to be honest but no we've got half of the national newspapers now already being run by that can women. only be a Fantastic, good thing yes. i'm not saying it's a, i'm just saying it's a change in a change of times and of course there were women editors in the 80s don't forget at the news of the world and at the sunday express but it's it's interesting that it's all sometimes change happens really fast and maybe it's to do also with Rebecca Brooks who's in charge really of the uh, of, of, of news uh, news UK's papers and she's clearly a woman yep so let's stick with news UK uh, it appears that times radio is going to be a thing uh, with ambitions of rivaling radio 4 uh, stig abel uh, no stranger to this podcast is the launch director we're waiting for the call stig um paul what's the strategy here well, it's very interesting, isn't it? They're saying this is a rival for Radio 4, but I have to sort of question that because commercially, it's very difficult to rival Radio 4. I mean, its budget is about £72 million a year and it invests in very expensive quality journalism, drama, um, investigative journalism, you know, a whole bunch of strands that actually are, you know, really strong public service content, great variety, very hard to make money on that. And I, I notice it says it's going to be opinion-led programming, which sounds a bit... It, like it's similar to talk radio or radio five. Well, I was going to say, what talk you know, radio station isn't opinion? Well, exactly. I mean, and what's it going to be? I mean, 
you know, to really rival Radio 4, you need built programming. You need, you know, programs which have got a budget, which have got researchers, they've got time, you know, and they can go away and, and, and do something meaningful. So I'm not sure how you're going to target. And it's interesting that um, Radio 4's latest radio figures are very strong. They've gained half a million listeners year on year. So Radio 4 is still in, you know, very, very robust health. Um, I guess if um, uh, they get maybe, you know, 10% or 20% of Radio 4's audience, that would be a significant audience for them. But they're never going to, I think certainly in the next 10 years, I can't see Radio 4 being overhauled by any commercial operator. No, I agree. But on the other hand, uh, they, they, there's, there's a difference, isn't there? They have got a lot of journalists now who are doing podcasts and are actually quite quite reasonable. I'm not... I'm not saying they're Radio 4 today's standard, but journalists you know, they, doing they, podcasts, you know, oh, indeed. Uh, the yeah. other thing is really when you when you stand back, the the, the, the <laughs> previous attempts have not been very good. I'm, well, one previous attempt, um, Channel 4 tried um, to lead a radio radio consortium uh, to to actually fill up a whole digital multiplex. But how did that go? As we know, the, <laughs> the, 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 the star of the show is supposed to be a sort of challenge to uh, Radio 4 and certainly to the Today programme. And look, and, they hired and Bob Shannon to run it and he temporarily yeah. left the BBC to go and run it. So, you know, Bob's a good radio guy. He knows what he's doing and he couldn't make it work and then he got back to the BBC as quickly as he could. Well, I mean, they had to pull it. I mean, it was, mm. it was decided and it was partly to be fair, sacrificed because of the uh, downturn in 2008 and, that, and, and the decision to, to put it actually arose from the collapse in advertising and, and the, the kind of sense of panic really that took place in September 2008 where they cut back staff and, and that was the first project. I think, it, I think they lost um, eight or nine million pounds uh, it's not a huge amount in terms of a billion pound budget. But, but do we think that times have changed? I mean, I, this I is, do. I if, do if, 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 if anything, this yeah. is a this is a huge endorsement for the health of commercial radio, isn't it? Sure, it is. Um, if it works, I mean, what's more interesting, frankly, is if you look at the uh, last year, um, Global have launched a whole series of brand extensions, and they've done amazingly. I mean, they've added two million listeners to these brand extensions, which are basically just recuts of existing music. So, Heart Nineties, Heart Dance, Capital Extra. Re- Loaded, Smooth Radio Chill, Heart 70s, Smooth Radio Country. Basically, no presenters, back-to-back music. You know, they are, they're actually beating Spotify by doing this. That's how you make money in commercial radio. And I think it's going to be very, very difficult to sustain the right investment to genuinely rival Radio 4. They might get half a million listeners. They might get quite a nice audience that they can uh, do something with. Interesting, they're not going to have advertising, so they're going to do the same as Virgin Radio and do the sort of the sponsorship thing. Um, but look, I think it could be an interesting player, but is it going to be a rival to Radio 4 in the scale of Radio 4? I don't think so. But what- What's really happened, Paul, I think, is that when you look back to the 90s, when there was this expansion of commercial radio, new franchises, a national commercial radio for the first time, it all kind of went very slowly. I remember a time when the BBC was really getting worried. Liz Forgan running BBC Radio was even saying, we don't want these quarterly radar figures telling us about audiences. They I were was getting there, very, I was head of strategy radio at the time, were, yes. You were getting worried. And then it all kind of went wrong. And partly, I think, because the then radio authority was chopping everything up into... Well, they over-licensed. What they, they did is they, they, they over-licensed, and so what happened was commercial radio started cannibalising itself, which meant that individual 
stations couldn't make enough money, and so therefore they, you know, some went bust or they merged and consolidated, and they all merged towards top forty because top forty is what makes the most money. So, you know, the ambition to have all these specialist stations funded commercially never happened because the advertising model doesn't support it. And of course, LBC was messed around with so many times before it sort of finally came good. As we know, it's been a tragic story until quite recently. But suddenly, everything is going very right for both digital radio and commercial radio after all sorts of changes, some good, some bad, which have taken place. But there's certainly more choice for people. And I see the the Times' move actually more in the direction of we are establishing ourselves as uh, uh, whatever we want to call it, a media... A, a multimedia uh, a multi- brand. But, oh, we, but, but oh, which is serious, which can take politics mm. pro- seriously. We do a lot of foreign affairs. They still do that. It's a very, very good paper, in my opinion. And even, you know, obits are done... To, uh, so it's a bit like Sky News. Yes. What Sky News did for Sky. Yes. It's it sho- it showcases their journalism. That yes. has to be... A, it showcases it. And, and it also, you know, allows people who, as we know, why, why are podcasts and these things so, so popular? It's because people are maybe going to the gym, they're cycling. You know, they want to hear things as they go along, as well as maybe reading a screen. And I think that that is another op- opportunity to get your... Uh, if you like your journalism and your uh, your views, but well founded, well argued views um, across to to people, and I, I I think we are we've seen radio really change in the past, I'd say eight years. One last thought on this, Paul. When when the radios are published next year, what do they get? Uh, they're going to get three hundred thousand listeners weekly reach. Three hundred thousand. We'll hold you to that. Okay. Uh, so changing frequencies a bit, we're going to talk Disney Plus. Uh, the service declared its first subscriber numbers, and they are good. Paul, how good? Well, very good. I mean, just under 30 million, which is amazing. Now, they've done some very smart things. They've um, done a deal with Verizon in the US, so they've bundled the Disney service with Verizon subscribers. They're in the process of doing a deal here in the UK with Sky, so Disney Plus is going to sit on the Sky Q blocks box alongside Netflix, um, and they've really been pushing it. I think it's a very impressive number. They were very smart, though. They did set a low retail price. I mean, you know, Netflix is such a powerful brand that it's sort of the price fixer. You can't really charge more than Netflix. And that's also the BBC's problem, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But Disney went for a lower price, um, you know, very strong offer. They've got a great catalogue, of course. They've really used all of their uh, outreach, you know, to to market it. So it's a respectable number because they were always going to be compared with Netflix. I mean, they always say, we don't want to be compared, you know, don't don't compare with 170 million of Netflix, but people will. And 30 million in the first few months is a very respectable number. The challenge, I think, Jake's going to be whether they can grow it because... <laughs> or, or keep that 30 million. I mean, it's well, going to be a significant amount of churn, I assume. I think there won't be much churn at okay. all. And the reason I say that is that um, the secret weapon in churn is kids' content. That's the thing that stops people churning. That's why Netflix, Amazon, Apple, they're all investing in kids because no one's going to upset their kids. You know, for seven quid a month, are you going to have a riot in your household because you take (laughs) Peppa Pig off? You're just not going to do it. And children are very conservative. Once they've found a thing they like, they just watch it and watch it. They stick with it. So then the the adults can't really move on to the other things they want on their TV because the kids in the morning are going to get up and watch this 
program again. I, I see got it, it all one. the time. You got yeah. it in one. So, so I think the Disney service is going to be very sticky. I think it's not going mm. to get much churn. I mean, obviously, when kids grow out of Disney, that would be that would be the issue. That's everyone's challenge. But that's though. everyone's. Does challenge. anyone grow out of Disney? I mean, well, I still I, love I, Disney. I don't, and I'm you know I'm old. Um, <laughs> so I think this, it won't be stickiness. I think the issue for them Jake, I went is, to, I is went whether to, well, sorry, let me finish the point. Whether they can actually grow it because um, they're not used to making the sort of volume Netflix is doing. I mean, Netflix is producing you know shed loads of volume isn't it and Disney's using a great library but they're gonna have to keep on adding and adding and adding and the culture is you know every week you look and there's a new season or there's a new show mm. and can they do that because if they can't do that they might find they're gonna sort of plateau but that's a culture bread Sorry by to TV. You, Maggie. No, to make that point. No, I, we're we're I, used I was, to new shows dropping every week. That's uh, that's that's the TV diet that we have, isn't it? Especially dramas. These yeah. Days. No. What what I was going to say is something different. I was at a, a, a discussion on children's television um, a couple of weeks ago, and one of the interesting things that came up there was that the poor old UK children production companies are still saying, "Well, we've really still only got one big customer, and that's the BBC." Unfortunately. And then another person said, yes, but look at what the Natural History Unit has done. It's made, you know, Natural History into a global brand. And also all of the people or the best people have all been sort of pinched, really, or encouraged to go and make programmes in their own independent production companies for people like Netflix or whoever, National Geo. And so wouldn't it be wonderful if this happened to children's television that we would find ourselves with not just Netflix which is in it a bit, you know, taking all our rights, but we find ourselves in great demand and that the British, you know, children's production side will just blossom. I'd love to hear your... Well, your well I mean, Disney already commissioning... <laughs> Disney Plus is already commissioning British production yes, companies. But, but, uh, films are making a, a natural history documentary, aren't they? And uh, yes. this can only be good for the community, can't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right, Maggie. I mean, um, British um, writers and creators, particularly of preschool, are well revered around the world. I mean, we have got a good reputation, particularly for preschool. Yeah. You know, and what we're very good at well, is... Well, Teletubbies is a classic one, isn't it? And Wood and all that stuff yeah. and Ragdoll, absolutely. And there's a long history of shows like that. But we're very good at design, we're very good at writing, very good at creativity. We're more expensive on physical animation. That's one of the problems, which often means that work might go out to Asia. Um, But I think the issue is more of a a mindset, and you just said it really, don't just make for the domestic platforms, make um, a British show that's got Britishness in it, but Britishness that translates to the rest of the world. And if you can do that, and you can sell it overseas, there's no reason why we can't be a real powerhouse of kids' production. Okay, from Teletubbies to Downing Street. Uh, This week, uh, journalists walked out of a briefing uh, after some of them were sidelined. Can you tell us what happened, Maggie? Well, it was simply that um, instead of the normal list of people who are in the lobby, um, there was an attempt to edit that list and uh, have sheep and goats. And I'm very pleased to say that this was not on. The the whole lobby, um, just all the people who were included, said, no, we're not going in. And so um, you know, it didn't happen. So I think it's been, from that point of view, one of the nice or better pushbacks from the kind of rather sour and, and um, unpleasant atmosphere, which really stems from... Uh, the, the 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 general election and um, all power to them. Um, so I mean, it was a briefing with the Prime Minister's yes. chief Bre- Brexit negotiator, David Frost. We think the BBC, ITV, and the Guardian and the Financial Times were being allowed in. Some of those being barred were the Mirror, I, and Independent. Yes, which I don't know. I mean, you could read. Could you read into the political leanings of those particular titles and it suggest fairly that fairly transparent to me? Yeah, um, but I mean. <laughs> 
do you think the well i mean they were the, wrong i mean there's there's an established um system of, of operating the lobby like it or not happens twice a day i remember actually being on the independent when it launched and there was a debate about whether we went in the lobby or not and you know high high-mindedly we said oh well, you don't really need them but of course everybody does really so it's 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 quaint but it sort of works but the real point is that journalists have reached a sort of um how can I put it? A breaking point, I think, with with the, with the government attempts to um, both either not hold briefings at all, uh, not include them on uh, you know lists for, for where there are going to be speeches made, all the rest of it, not allowing questions. We've seen all of these things happening. Not going on key programs as well. Yeah, I was going to say, does it, all, does it speak to all those kind of? I think, I think, it, I think it, I think it speaks to um, a general sense of both frustration and and pushing back and and it was clear it was it was a feeling that or a, a, a view that went across the whole board regardless of who who you were the telegraph as much as much as the guardian so i found that a very positive thing and this is this is going to happen more and more because you can't really run um any kind of democracy in this way and the press is a key part of that, and and so is other broadcasters. So. There is precedent here, of course. I remember this happening to me. Actually, I was told I was not acceptable when I was mm-hmm. working for a certain organisation. Uh, and I'm going back to the days before Tony Blair was elected, um, when Peter Mandelson was assembling New Labour, and uh, New Labour were incredibly controlling in terms of who they allowed in. And we were. I was actually at Talk Radio. I was the chief executive of Talk Radio, owned by CLT Ufa, Franco-German company, and we were told we did not have passes, we were not allowed access into the party conference, where the BBC was, because we weren't appropriate and we weren't the right political colour. And we were we were ejected from the uh, the room. We weren't allowed in. And um, Peter Mandelson then actually became um, a guest presenter on talk radio. And um, he was absolutely clear that his agenda was to make sure that New Labour only spoke to the journalists who were going to give New Labour a good coverage. So this isn't just a, an insidious so right-wing agenda? I, think it's, I don't think so. I think it happens in both parties. Mm. And I think, you know, whenever you've got maybe, uh, I mean, he didn't have a majority thing because it was before they were actually in power. Mm. But, you know, the Mandelson-Blair axis was incredibly um, strong at controlling, wasn't it? Labour, are you on message? That was the thing we kept on hearing. But Mandelson spent his time going out to Sky News, I seem to remember. He did. In the 90s. I used to see him all the time when I was doing newspaper I think reviews. he may be shopping at Tesco or something <laughs> in Austin. <laughs> and just to pick up on the point that Maggie made around uh, ministers boycotting the Today Show, uh, it appears maybe that 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 those well, hosti- Morgan those, didn't yeah, I was going to say those hostilities may have ended with Nikki Morgan going on the Today program, albeit not live in the studio. She was, uh, I think, recorded at her speech at the Policy Exchange yesterday. But what do we make of that as an issue? Well, I mean, look. I think given the size of the Today audience, and we're talking about 8 million people listening, I mean, it's an incredibly large audience. I mean, there's probably nowhere else in the morning you can get that sort of reach on any medium at all. So It's the biggest news programme in the country. So if you can make that work for you, then you should be on there. Um, I think, uh, you know, if you're going to go on the Today programme, you've got to be prepared, you've got to have your um, ducks in a row, and you've got to go for it. And I think any uh, senior politician should be willing to do that. That's part of the job, I think. It's interesting, though, that the ratings went up in the last quarter 
despite the fact that there weren't any cabinet ministers or any kind of... They did. I mean, they did. I mean, you know, Radio 5 Live Talk Radio, Radio yeah. 4, they all increased their audiences. So there was there was interest in the general election, despite, say, the absence of the big names. Mm. So do we think that we're going to see declines now that the Brexit bumps over? Well, I mean, um, it, it's a year-on-year thing, so we're not going to know. I suspect, you know, we're probably going to see a bit of a fallback in the speech stations next quarter. But, I mean, you know, 4 or 5%, maybe not catastrophic, but there'll be some decline, yes. Okay. Uh, we'll be back with more media news right after this. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Spiritland Studios are run by Spiritland Productions, providers of professional audio solutions for TV, radio and online. As well as their broadcast standard studio facilities, Spiritland Productions also has a world-class OB vehicle for audio and video projects of any scale. Whether it's podcasting, outside broadcasting or live concert recording, produce your next show with Spiritland Productions. Go to spiritlandproductions.com now. Welcome back to the media podcast. And now, uh, with the time coming up to half past the hour, it's over to Paul Robinson with the Rage Arts. Nobody gives a time check like that. <laughs> Come on, Jake. What radio station are you listening specific? to? Yeah, I, don't uh, write, I didn't write this script. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You just read it. I know. Well, the Rage Arts are very interesting because this is actually, as Maggie was saying earlier, this is actually about digital because digital listening share has increased by 11%. So a new record. So digital listening is now 58.5% of all listening. So digital is now, you know, way ahead of analog. Um, and it was boosted by several things. DAB continues to grow. I mean, DAB is still the single largest source of digital listening. But also there's growth in listening via smart speakers. Now, it's a huge growth, um, but still a relatively small number. Um, 31% of adults now claim to have a voice-activated speaker, and two-thirds of those listen to radio on that speaker. Um, That's a great and- yeah. And so the growth year on year is 43% in terms of total hours, but it still only represents 2.5% of total listening. But, you know, it's, it's clearly growing. The other thing that's really interesting is 
digital radio in cars. Mm. Now they've finally got DAB sets as standard in cars. You're seeing real growth in uh, in listening in cars, um, up by 16% year on year. So really, really strong. Um, and then, you know, people like uh, stations like BBC Six Music, Radio 4 Extra, doing incredibly well, um, plus all the global stations doing very well. Um, Chris Evans is interesting because um, Virgin Radio had this huge um, increase in audience um, and it just hasn't continued. I mean, Chris Evans does have the single largest digital-only radio I was going to say, this is what Radio Today reported, isn't it? But it's only 1.2 million people, you know, which you think... In, compared to Radio 2's breakfast show, he where he came from is is tiny. So even Chris, you know, can't shift the numbers beyond that. And he's brilliant at bringing in audiences everywhere he goes. Radio One, Radio Two, he's all Virgin. He's always added added numbers. So really, it's about digital. Um, and uh, aside from that, bits of ups and downs. Zoe Ball's um, she's regained. Up, she? uh, she's yeah, she's down on where she was. I mean, she's down on what she inherited, but she's up a bit on last time. So um, year on year, she's lost about eight hundred thousand listeners. But it's not as bad as it was. But it doesn't look like she's ever going to get back to Chris Evans. And what about Greg James? Because, I mean, his show is so heavily plugged across all of the BBC these days. He was slightly down, if I, if I remember correctly. Um, Greg James is slightly down. He's down um, from 5.1 million to 4.8 million. But Radio 1 is down as well. I mean, Radio 1 is showing decline. And this is all part of the transition um, amongst young audiences away from linear. You know, they're moving to podcasts. They're moving to on demand. And that's the big issue. So Radio 1 is, is sliding. Greg James' share of total Radio 1 audience has gone up. But he can't, he can't hold the whole station because it's a trend that's, um, you know, going in that direction. Capital's got the same problem. You know, this issue about um, younger audiences and how their listening is becoming very, very significant. Well, it's are, we, not... are we anywhere near, um, you know, switch off of analogue, in your view? Well, FM is still getting about 40% of total yeah. listening. AM is now really, really small. So, I mean, AM stations are being switched off. And in fact, the BBC switched off the AM transmitters of quite a few of its local stations uh, only in the last few weeks and, and more to come. So AM is definitely gone. FM's going to be around for a while because you've got to replace those sets and they have a long lifetime. So, no, I think we're, we're at least five years away, I would say. We'll stick with your thoughts uh, about the uh, the push for young viewers or the push, the push to retain young viewers anyway, and that, and that's uh, that's uh, very much a BBC wide issue. Uh, and one of the things they're trying to do to help increase their young audience is move Top Gear to BBC One. Maggie, do you want to tell us a bit about this? Well, listen, I'm not really the expert on Top Gear, I can tell you, but but it's pretty obvious, isn't it, that they've found suddenly that they've got the right lineup of presenters. Uh, the, the program is just resonating with every kind of man I know, anyway, and um, it's they're it's saying more, more women are watching as yes, well. Yes, they have changed it, uh, but also the the key thing surely is that. Uh, the, the the bar for what was a, a, a BBC One program has has lowered considerably. So three million or so is is just brilliant. So it's an obvious move, and um, I'm I'm surprised it's taken so long in a way. Actually, well, I mean, the suggestion is that uh, Jeremy Clarkson and Andy Wilman, who used to obviously run the show, um, were always very reluctant on moving to BBC One because they like to be the top dogs on BBC Two. Exactly, yes. Um, but also you have got this kind of revitalisation, haven't you? 
Yeah, look, I think it's a smart move and I agree with Maggie. I'm surprised it hasn't happened before. I mean, the strategic issue for the BBC is that to protect the licence fee, it has to have universality of access. And BBC One always used to be viewed by basically everybody. So it was easy. If you know BBC One was doing well, the BBC could argue licence fee, no problem, universality. But BBC One is starting to lose reach. It's not getting, it's not got the same universality. They've got to prop up BBC One. They cannot afford it. They could even allow a bit of loss on the other channels if BBC One is strong. So I think we're going to see increasingly more and more energy and more and more budget directed at BBC One. I agree. I I think you're absolutely right. It's absolutely the mothership. And they've always had a quite ruthless policy, as we all know, of moving BBC Two hits over to BBC One. And that's why when you have a very strong overall director of television, which is what you do have at the BBC now. They will do everything they can now. She's Charlotte Moore. Yeah, Charlotte Moore. Yes, yeah. I mean, she. I mean, she's she's really, you know, the, the the queen now, and they'll do anything to keep BBC One going, yeah. and that's the key key priority. And I think we'll see other things moving too. I, I think this is not the only no, example. There'll be more to come, I'm sure. It's interesting, the, the RuPaul thing on BBC Three, I haven't seen any data on whether that worked. You know, there was definitely a move, wasn't there, to put you know, RuPaul on to drive young, young audiences to BBC Three. I haven't seen... The BBC will tell you it was a huge success. Of course they will, but... Have uh, you seen I mean, it did. I mean, it, it racked up millions and millions of views. I forget okay. the, the precise number off the top of my head. But were but, they the right people? I mean, because uh, I was yes. watching it and I'm clearly not the target the, audience. The BBC said that they were young, there was young audiences coming to it and... Okay. Uh, it certainly helped um, towards what was a record year for iPlayer last year. Uh, they had four billion requests across the year, which is, I mean, yeah. just an extraordinary number. I think the BBC, you know, credit where it's due on mm. that, I think. Absolutely. So we'll stick with the BBC. Uh, we've talked about something nice. Now we're talking something a bit more grim. Uh, and that was that we witnessed BBC News reporters live tweeting uh, the prospect of redundancies across BBC News. Uh, 450 jobs are going. Um, Maggie, tell us a bit more about this. Well, the BBC, as we know, is facing cuts because it's not going to be compensated for the free over, over 75 uh, licences and they do face a crisis of uh, quite considerable proportions and it's happening right now they have decided they need to cut 80 million out of the budget for news and uh, this is sort of one of the first ways of doing it on the other hand uh, unless i've got the figure wrong but the financial times put what i think was the right figure that there's supposed to be about six thousand people uh, working on various news and current affairs related programming at the bbc that is a huge number of i think people. it's yeah i think it's about six thousand. yes and so Maybe just I mean, over that the, you i always feel you need to put in context a cut like that um it is clearly um of great concern to the people affected and i do sympathize with especially the journalists who have been uh rooting around and getting very good social issue uh news stories on the victoria derbyshire show um which i think was a misplaced program because it's in the morning i never used to watch it but i knew somebody who used to work on it who's produced some fantastic journalism for Victoria to head up. So there are lots of uh, concerns about this. On the other hand, we we recently discussed whether people are doing too much news um, or doing too many news stories in newspapers and what you what you really have to refine down uh, your, your output on, uh, on. And it could well be that this cut will not be as draconian as it seems to be to the people concerned. The worry is that things become homogenised. I think that that's one of the things that would concern me, that you have this massive newsroom, although hopefully they're going to send more people they're supposed to be sending 
another contingency out to the regions. Um, and we all know if you if you watch the BBC carefully, which I do, you you very often get the story of the day, which somehow goes on and on in the same vein all the way across different outlets until it almost drives you mad. And then it's then it turns up on Newsnight as well. And I think that there there does need to be some uh, rational if, if they're going to rationalise and just decide almost centrally what are the big stories, um, then you could end up uh, losing quite a lot of the variety and the quirks that you actually need to keep all these different audiences yeah. interested each and show, informed. Each bulletin has its yes. personality, I guess, yes. doesn't it? I mean, I have had a problem in Newsnight recently because very often you turn to it and it's kind of repeating what you've been hearing maybe on the on the main news and i think it does need to be um maybe have a new identity and decide you know what it is about and it, it could be that um when you actually challenge an organization it the, the organization comes back or the, the news out, out, output changes but in a good way not necessarily in a bad way because you you shake things up a bit i don't know but it is it is obviously all part of these cutbacks that are taking place at the BBC. And News and Current Affairs is their key public service, um, you know, unique selling point. They have, they do more of it than anybody else and they do a lot of foreign news, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and in all different varieties. So we should be worried. I'm not saying it's um, an, incons- an inconsiderable cut, um, but I am... I'm, I'm saying that it may not be, you know, Armageddon. Okay. No, I mean, let's just broaden this debate out a little bit. And, I mean, it all it all plays the narrative that the BBC is in very choppy waters at the moment. We've had Nikki Morgan, the Culture Secretary, make a speech this week where she effectively signalled that the licence fee could possibly be, be scrapped in 2027. Does the BBC face an existential threat, do we think? I think it does. I mean, the BBC's total income is about £5 billion, of which 75% comes from the licence fee. It's interesting, the £80 million, just quickly on that, because the licence fee goes up by £3 in April, and in fact, that will generate an extra £80 million a year. So it's rather odd it's an £80 million cut in news and current but affairs. But it's, it's part of a broader £800 million cut. Sure, they're trying to sure. The, and, so, and we've, we've had the easy savings, I think. That's the other, that's the other point that... Well, that, that's what make. the BBC would say. I mean, I, I think that... Um, Five billion pounds is not an inconsiderable sum, um, and what's important is loose what, change. It's, well, yes, I mean I'm sure it is for you, Jake. But, but you know the point is, what is the BBC for? I mean I think someone needs to actually sit down with a piece of paper again and think. Look, if we want to retain some sort of universal charging to every household and not go the Netflix model, not have advertising, not be you know funded directly by the government and all the negatives that would produce, we've got to appeal to everybody. We've got to make sure that the BBC somehow touches everybody in whatever way. It doesn't have to be every single service, but online, TV, radio, you know, you've got to get something for everybody. And work out what that is, and then work out how to spend the five billion. The trouble is, they're starting from where they are, and what they tend to do is a bit like the Victoria Derbyshire thing, they lob off limbs. You know, rather than thinking, can we do it more efficiently, um, let's think about what we're about. The the licence fee thing is significant, because clearly if it is decriminalised, and I suspect that will be the outcome, that is going to increase the amount of evasion. If you look at the licence fee income 2019-2018, and these are BBC annual report figures, about 900,000 people stopped paying the licence fee in that year. So a very significant drop in income. If that continues, the BBC is heading for a precipice. So I think 
you know, whilst cost cutting is an expedient for the moment, it's not going to solve the problem because they're going to keep cost cutting until they've killed the BBC. Um, you've got to think about how to make sure the BBC reaches everybody and everyone's willing to pay for it. Because if we're all pay- willing to pay for it and we all think we're getting value, they haven't got a problem. So, this, I mean, this, and if they can do, afford to pay for it too, I mean, this is well, it's about affordability too. I mean, the yes. license fee is not insignificant. Yes. I am going to wave this little piece of paper at you. This Ooh. is the Daily Mirror yesterday. British Life. Oh, we can't have the Daily Mirror. Sorry, it's banned. <laughs> Sorry, it's not not allowed. <laughs> not allowed in here. Not I allowed will in to one side, Maggie. I, I, Sorry, Maggie. Shame on you. I, I was reading this with gr- a great delight. I, I read the FT and the Daily Mirror first thing in the morning, and it's a list. It's a a, a, a proper sort of piece of research into what Brits think of as lifesavers, what are we oh. about? And it's a list of all different things, but right up there, good and proper, is the BBC. And yeah. I read this uh, just as all of this debate was going on about the decriminalisation, which actually I find quite hard to d- defend the fact that women largely get dragged through uh, the magistrates' courts and all the rest of it. Uh, I, and, and then get Not a, very many, fortunately. I mean, only five people have gone to prison. Yes, in but it's, it's 121,000 people, which are fined, and the majority of those are women. And it was noticeable, really, I thought yesterday, that nobody really in Parliament, because MPs get lobbied on this a lot, was, was actually saying, uh, opposing uh, and Nicky Morgan. There was every opportunity for uh, Tracy Braben that the... the Labour uh, culture shadow um, secretary to make a bit of a show. In fact, she was rather showing off too much of her flesh, according to some people, because she was wearing a rather racy dress in Parliament. But there wasn't a, a, a kicking back. The people who were opposing it were, of course, um, you know, great BBC fans. I mean, myself, really. But I, I actually think it is it is a very difficult thing to argue um, that you have a, a compulsory licence fee that can turn you into, or give you a criminal record. I mean, ultimately, it's, you know, it's like Netflix. People actually, but what I was actually trying to they say, pay sorry, for it because they, like, they want they, yes. it. You, know, if you, you, don't, yeah. you shouldn't have to have no. to make it criminal. You should no. actually make people want so to pay good. it. So good, they'll pay for it anyway. That's the, that has to be the BBC's call. Sure. And this is why, I, although, the, OK, the, the BBC does... Face a lot of threats. Mm. I think you can underestimate uh, the public's affection for it, and I'm not saying that it's perfect. But given that the um, the, the hundred, uh, hundred the, the centenary at hundred years of the BBC will be in 2022, they'll obviously make a great great push on that. And on top of that, you can't disrupt a Royal Charter until 2027. It does give the BBC seven or eight years and lots of clever people, uh, ways of thinking. And, and a new director-general. And a new director-general and a new chairman and a new There's board. a lot going on. There's I mean, we, we, on. we could talk about the BBC for the whole show, but we're, we're going to talk about a couple of departures from the BBC, both for very different reasons. Uh, first of all, Sarah Sands. Um, if we could just jump on that specifically. Uh, did she see the writing on the wall? Is uh, Has she jumped ship knowing that the BBC is going under? Well, I think it's a great shame because I think she's done a really good job and I, I think it's a great loss to lose Sarah Sands. I mean, the, the way the cuts were handled seems to have been a bit careless. I mean, Victoria Derbyshire, you know, found out in, in an inappropriate way. Maybe she thought now's the time to go. I think that probably was it. She thought, you know what, I can see the writing on the wall. Let me go and do something else. So, so Sarah was the editor of the Today programme. Did she do a good job, Maggie, Absolutely. just briefly? I think so, except I got rather irritated with some of her rather softer cultural things that sort of happened around about 20 I remember you bringing this up with her at the broadcast. I like that. (laughs) I, 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 I didn't. You want the hard stuff all the time. No, I mean, I, I very much liked the, the, the item on Shakespeare this morning and, and children. I mean, that was actually um, 
in the eight to nine o'clock slot. But there were times when I thought, I, I've just about had enough of this waffling on and you've cut out somebody who's really interesting. But, you know, that's a minor thing. Look, who wants to get up so early in the morning anyway? Um, she is 59. Um, she's She's got a very, very strong uh, curriculum vitae now. She could go in and help. Um, the Times with its radio shows, they've already recruited some There's an idea. people. Yes, I mean, she, she's, she's going to be in demand. And she also like writes, it. she writes very well too. So um, she's probably he- just run, run for the door at the right time. You heard it here first. Um, we must also say goodbye to uh, Nicholas Parsons, uh, host of the longest running panel show, Just a Minute. Uh, he died last week at the age of 96 uh, and was mourned by his legion of fans. Um, Lots of lovely anecdotes about Nicholas, haven't there? They're, yes. They're... I, I mean, it, it's funny, isn't it? Because that show was amazing. He also did, of course, the very cheesy Sale of the Century, you know, the quiz <laughs> of the week, live from Norwich. But what, what I loved, actually, was the quotes, you know, that were, were thrown everywhere. And, I've, you know, a couple I just pulled out, you know. I loved his line when he said, we're, ro- we're ro- I'm sorry, we are rogues and vagabonds waiting by the phone there to hire for our talents, a bit like prostitutes. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, I have a very weak stomach. I'm not sure how I'd handle it uh, with kangaroo testicles. <laughs> you know, I mean, just a, just a man with humour and grace. And he's sort of, I guess, a bygone age, 47 years on one show. My goodness me. He was at the Broadcasting Press Guild lunch last year, last year was. which is rather well, wonderful. He went out had, a good lunch then. Yes. I had the honour of uh, passing him the award. Which, I thought so. Um, yeah. It was a very special moment. Um, what did he say he, to you? Did he say that afterwards? He was completely charming. And he spoke for about 20 minutes, had the audience in the palm of his hand. Uh, There was great laughter and joy in the room. And I think we all reflect on that as a real moment uh, now that he's passed, unfortunately. Did you come across him while you were in the media reporting trenches? Not really. I mean, he's somebody who actually kept himself, in a way, away from uh, the media and indeed his personal life too. And I always listened to him and just he just had this wonderful deadpan humour I thought and the timing was the thing he didn't try to sort of outshine and he was so sharp well, exactly I mean, running a panel thing. show is not that easy you know no, I mean, you have to a, respond quickly and it's you've got scripted. to be quick and you've got to keep yeah. track of what's going on and you know gosh at yeah. 90 something he was absolutely on the money really yeah. impressive and he okay. could really deliver a blue line as well he could your minutes up on, on Nicholas Parsons uh, we're and, and, we, <laughs> and we've got barely enough time uh, for the media quiz Uh, This week it's entitled Blast from the Past. Uh, I'll name a location synonymous with a media company or event and you tell me the old thing that reared its head. Everyone clear? Not really. really. Of course not. It will become clear. Just buzz in with your name uh, when you know the answer. Can you bring back on? (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm just a poor shadow. No, we love you, Jake. We love you. That was a very cheap thing. (laughs) So we will do the buzzer test. Paul, you will say... Buzzer. (laughs) Paul. And Maggie? I'll say Maggie. Okay, let's go. Uh, Carlisle Street, Soho, home of Private Eye and a number of post-production houses. Oh, the, this is the bomb. Sorry, sorry. Paul. Well done. Uh, this is, this is the, the, the unexploded uh, World War II bomb that caused them to evacuate Dean Street and um, almost risk Private Eye not actually uh, making its deadline. That's true, and I'm sure there are a lot of grumpy TV producers spilled out on the streets <laughs> okay so congratulations that's were almost closed yeah that's uh, <laughs> that's best i could do yeah that's that's correct so one point to paul um second question the national television award for best Maggie. comedy Mrs. that was <laughs> <laughs> this is round's boys yes that's right 
And it beat Flavor of the Decade, Fleabag. Extraordinary. No, it isn't extraordinary because this was a, these are awards that are voted for by people. And look at the ratings of Mrs. Brown's Boys. I mean, even my husband likes it a bit. So he's very fussy. So. <laughs> and it's got longevity. You know, it's a brand. I'm not surprised when the public vote. I would, you know. It's I, a crash show, but yeah, it's yeah. funny. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's clearly cherished by its audience and that's what matters, isn't it? Uh, so... It's a dead heat and going into our final question. 1-1. One, one. Uh, so number three, here we go. What's the blast from the past that's going to appear on Channel 4's All 4 this month? Oh, it's Seinfeld. Oh, Maggie, I didn't Maggie, hear a name. Maggie, <laughs> Maggie. Yes. Yes, I'm very excited by this. It well, is Seinfeld. This is all part of Channel 4's attempts to really reinvigorate its digital channels. Get back in touch with the kids. E4 and, and, and All 4. I mean, no, All 4 was a more vintage one, but, you know... Um, you can see what's going on there. They're putting lots of efforts into there. Well, I find it extraordinary that Seinfeld didn't have a home here for, yes. for the best part of a year. It was on Amazon Prime last year and then well, kind of disappeared. Well, Channel 4 have a, a reputation for being quite nippy when they... It's very opportunistic, um, isn't it? Yes. It's smart. Smart bit of deal-making. No, it's a cold commercial heart. <laughs> they, they, have to, they have to do the deals to keep going. They're advertising funded. They have to do this. Exactly. So... That means you're the winner, Maggie. This Congratulations. Has never Congratulations. Maggie. <laughs> Is that your first win? Yeah. You know well, what? I'm honoured to I'm honoured to I oversee have to be it. On it's because you've got very weak opposition. <laughs> no, you're just an international traveller. Oh, right. No, Paul, there's always, next, there's always next time. I will aspire to win next time. Thank you so much for both, uh, for both of you for coming on. Uh, that's it today. Thanks to my guests, Maggie Brown and Paul Robinson. Uh, if you like what we're doing here on the Media Podcast and want to help us keep doing it, then consider taking out a voluntary subscription. Head to themediapodcast.com forward slash donate and choose an amount to keep us all going all year round. You can catch up with previous episodes and get new ones as soon as they're released by subscribing for free at our website, themediapodcast.com. I'm Jake Cantor. The producer was Matt Hill. The Media Podcast is a PPM production. Until next time, goodbye. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.